to work through the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Shall we stand as I read the passage here? And now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, as it is in Matthew 6, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You may be seated. So last week we did spend the bulk of our time in Matthew's gospel going through the first part of that Sermon on the Mount that had to deal with the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus set up this prayer model, the Lord's Prayer, as we refer to it, uh, by explaining and sort of teaching the disciples to avoid a, a certain kind of prayer life, to not be like the actors that they were Uh, being taught by in the religious establishment who prayed to be heard by others. They were seeking the praise and the attention from men. And so, as stated before, sometimes we learn how to do something the right way by seeing how not to do it the wrong way. And so uh, we spent the bulk of our time uh, then um, looking at the heavenly side of prayer in the person of the Father. It's, I think it's really easy to think about Jesus, and we should. it's okay to pray to Jesus, but sometimes I think the Father gets overlooked because we're so easily, uh, it's so easy for us to relate to Jesus as the man, but God is incomprehensible. And I think as we go to prayer, it is good that we be thoughtful uh, about the nature and character of God. You know, as you pour over the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that he's given to us, there's uh, kind of two perspectives there. It's, you know, just as the Ten Commandments had the two tables, you have the, the, the responsibility that mankind has before God to no, have no other gods before him and to worship him only and that first table. And then the second table, that responsibility that we all have uh, to our neighbors to love them as we love ourselves and there's two perspectives here if you are looking closely at this model prayer that we should probably consider uh, we have uh, the heavenly side of prayer our father who's in heaven uh, his, involving his person that we th- taught on last week and then today his purpose uh, the kingdom uh, and then his plan or his will those, that's the heavenly side of prayer. And we'll also look at the earthly side of prayer. That second perspective is just as important. Uh, that covers our need uh, for provision, for pardon. It, 
Uh, it covers our battle. You know, we're praying for protection, but it also gives us a per, an overall perspective that everything in this life is to be done for the glory and honor of our God. So uh, we pray uh, to him and recognize who he, who he is, who we're actually talking to. It should be very sobering. You know, this is the thing that's concerning for people who we witness to, and they say, well, I've asked God for many things, and he's never given me anything. And they complain uh, that they've sought God, and God has been silent and have, haven't uh, taken the time to do anything in their lives in a special way. So why should they serve God? Why should they believe in God? And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to answer that sometimes. Uh, you think, um, how would you respond to someone a total stranger coming up to you and just begin to ask you for certain things when you know, don't know them or anything about them. They don't know you, but then all of a sudden they're mad at you because you're not giving them the things they're asking you for. And so this is sort of the, you know, somewhat comparative to a person who doesn't know God asking God for things and it's all about them. And uh, they have no idea who they're talking with. But our God is so merciful. There has been many times that he has gone the extra mile with those people and done something fantastic in their lives. And then yet, how do people often respond to even that? Oh, well, thank you. No, not really. They just go on about their business. Well, you know, I guess he is there, you know, after all. <laughs> uh, there's just so much more uh, respect and humility that should come into prayer. And I think this model prayer will directs us in that manner. And so let's kind of pick it up where we left off. Uh, we left off talking about the person, but uh, we all want to now focus on the kingdom uh, and the heavenly side uh, that God wants to establish. What goes on in heaven, in his kingdom of heaven, he wants to establish that upon the earth. Now, we understand that there are two realms. Uh, we have the heavenly realm and we have the earthly realm. And then there's that part in between that we'll talk about a little bit later. But in the heavenly realm, it's the angels who are the image bearers. They're the ones who carry out the responsibility of doing the Lord's will. He's a, sort of a delegator, if you will. He delegates uh, responsibilities and assignments to the angels, and they in turn uh, minister to us. They were created uh, to be and to serve us on God's behalf. Now, uh, of course, we've been taught and know that uh, that's our job on earth. We're, we're the imagers of God on earth to help establish his rule and uh, take dominion over the earth and represent him. Do the things that God would uh, do if he were here personally, and that is to uh, maintain and take care of this place, clean up the place, as it were. It's kind of tough now. That was the original assignment with Adam and Eve, as you know, uh, and they... Uh, rebelled, but it didn't change the assignment. Uh, unfortunately for us, in that rebellion, a curse came upon the earth, and then a curse came upon uh, our natures. We're now fallen. Doesn't change the responsibility, doesn't change the calling. It just makes it a lot more difficult to image God perfectly as Jesus did. We have a very tough time imaging the Lord. We have a difficult time taking dominion and exercising the authority that we've been given as his image bearers, but that's our responsibility. And that responsibility can only be apprehended and take, carried out. Our authority can only be exercised if we learn how to pray. And I think this is a model prayer that uh, we should all um, take to heart. You know, praying 
is the means by which God accomplishes the purposes of the kingdom. Prayer, as you know, is what keeps you and I connected to the Lord. Prayer is something that is learned. It's not something that we just automatically know how to do. Uh, We have to exercise ourselves in prayer and learn how to pray more effectively. There's always a motive in prayer. We hit this on a little bit last week, but James uh, 5, 16, and 17, if you'll pull that up back there, James 5, 16, and 17 Uh, It it reads as follows. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So as you read through that, there are a few couple of things that sort of stick out there about our motive for prayer. Uh, We can hardly separate confession uh, from prayer. Why is that? Because when you begin to think about the Father, you begin to think about God, almost immediately there is that, oh, he's holy and I'm not. And I sort of can get this self-condemnation. Well, you know, I don't know if I really should. I have the right to talk to God because I'm I'm not all that I should be. And there's this holiness, this perspective that we have of God that, that he's so otherworldly and beyond us that we have no right to come into his presence. Well, that's all true, but the blood, the blood of Christ, we sang about it this morning, it gives us the ability, the atoning sacrifice gives us the privilege and the authority to come right into the throne room of heaven and make our requests known to God with full confidence. That requires faith, but that's what's been done on our behalf. The other thing we see here in that particular verse is that the, it says effective fervent. Now, that's one word in the original. It's anigo, or anigo, which we get our word energy from. And the idea is that when we pray, it produces energy. It produces something. There's, there's an end result coming because we've exercised ourselves in this activity. It's the release of energy. It really works, as many of us know. But notice also it says that he prayed earnestly. There's got to be a little fire within, some fire in your heart. It really matters to me. When there's emotions rise and and cares expressed, there's some emotion that's involved in that, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, How can our emotions be detached from heartfelt needs? They can't be. So learning how to pray is what we see here. Again, the heavenly side of prayer, it's his name, it's his kingdom, and his will. As we look at the kingdom here, we understand that it's kingdom. God has a purpose. God, God knows what he's doing. He, he's going to fulfill every promise that he ever made. All the scriptures, all the prophetic utterances that were given to us in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament prophets, as far as they go, what is written is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Now, we talk about the kingdom, and sometimes, we, am I part of that? I mean, we wonder, we're, we're not Jewish people. This is not an American book. It's Jewish. It's, it, we got to get into the context of the people who were called by God, chosen by God, and we got to get into their minds, their paradigm, their perspective on, in, of spirituality to grasp it. The kingdom of God is a place where the king reigns. And who's the king? 
God reigns. It has always been the mind, in the mind and heart of God that he would dwell with man. It's been interrupted, as I mentioned earlier, by the curse and by the rebellion that we had so many centuries ago. But it hasn't changed God's desire to be among his people, and that is going to happen. Now, tell that to the average person, and they're like, the kingdom of God is here? <laughs> really? It looks like the kingdom of Satan to me, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, look what's going on. He looks like he's doing a pretty good job establishing his kingdom. When we see the things that have been manifest, well, he's just a lying invader. That's all he is. He's a trespasser. He's been defeated, but he continues to trespass. He has sought the destruction of mankind long before you and I were ever on the scene. Lies and deception, rampant, leading people astray. Think of the violence that's in our streets, the economic upheaval, the medical malfeasance that's taking place. Satan's managed to create a lot of fear and chaos on a global scale, hasn't he not? What's holding this destruction back? None other than the Holy Spirit. God is the restraining instrument, the restraining power that's at work in this planet. You think we would be breathing if Satan had his will at this moment in time? We, we wouldn't. The Holy Spirit's restraining the destruction of mankind. It, it is the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, that we are the ones in opposition to that. As weak and as feeble as maybe our prayers may be, God is using that to hold back the destructive power of, this, of the enemy. In fact, the greater and the more the church learns of our greater authority and power that's been given to the believer in Christ, the more effective we will be in destroying the strongholds that the enemy has put upon this world. It's not always easy to detect, to detect the work of the Holy Spirit for sure. And this is kind of a fuzzy concept when we see G John the Baptist come on the scene, oh, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. You know, people were repenting, getting baptized, and there was a real revival and move of God, and then Jesus comes along, and it just explodes. The nation is just so excited about Jesus being the Messiah, and that he's there finally going to establish the kingdom, and God is going to rule with man. Well, it didn't quite go over so well, did it? And there was a misunderstanding if Jesus said and John said that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that it was here, how do they mean that? We really need to grasp this. We need to understand this. I think it's important. Luke 17, you can pull that up. Luke 17, 20 and 21 give us a, an explanation that I think helps us to understand maybe a little better. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, this is Jesus, when the kingdom of uh, God would come, Jesus answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God came in the announcement of John. It came with the announcement of Christ. It is here, but not yet. Not yet in its fullness. I think we would see a greater representation of the kingdom on earth if the church, if believers were not as attached to the world as we are. And God help us to stop loving the world and love God as he deserves to be loved. We 
the only way we can get free from that love of the world is to learn how to pray. We must deny ourselves that love of the world and remain loyal to God. That's part of the testing. That's part of the trials that we go through. Are we going to remain faithful to God? He's expressed loyal love to us. Will we continue through our trials and our tribulations for whatever we go through? Will we remain loyal to him? That's what these tests are for. Do we love the world more than we love God? Do we love ourselves more than we love God? This is the test. So the kingdom is now, but yet, not yet. And this is the statement from theologians, a, a way of explaining that the kingdom is here, but it's not here in its fullness yet. See, I think when we read and hear such a statement, it should cause us to pause. Think about it. God's plan isn't just about my personal salvation and my personal needs and my personal relationship and all that and my family, my stuff. God's got a big program. This kingdom thing is massive, right? No, God cares about those things on a personal level. I'm not downplaying that. But we have to pull back sometimes and try to use our sanctified imagination, if you will, to imagine the magnitude of God's program. Heaven, the city of God, is going to come down out of heaven. It's 1,400 miles wide, high, and deep. That's a cube. You, can, you mathematicians can do the little math with the square footage, how many people you could actually fit into the kingdom of God, the city of God. Oh, it's massive. And I think that's the place that Jesus has been working on for nearly 2,000 years. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where, I, and, and where I go to do this, I'll come back to receive you unto myself that where I am you might be also. So when Jesus gets the city done, guess who's coming? Hasten the process, Lord. Hasten the process. Make us ready for that place. So there's a lot to the kingdom of God. Yes, salvation is important. Restoration of the earth is important. The return of Christ, setting up the kingdom, it's not for the glory of man. It is for the glory of God. And he will be glorified in this. But what is this life? What is this short-term life that we have? It is but for a moment. In the, in the future, when we leave this place, when we cross over into heaven, this will be like a passing dream but it is not easy right now. It's very difficult for us. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't grasp the immensity of it all. But, and it is a challenge to us. But we are challenged by the scriptures. We are challenged by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives with eternity in mind. To give ourselves to things that are eternal and not to the temporal things that are going to burn in a moment of time. Things that we will leave behind when we breathe our last God help us. His kingdom is coming. And it's coming. And it's unstoppable. Going to be fun. Going to be great. What can be more important than the person of God, than the kingdom of God, other than maybe the will of God? These are the heavenly side of prayer that we need to grasp. What's more important than the will of God? I pray, I think it's important that when you pray, you should have this sort of contract with God, if you will, this understanding whether you actually say the words, which I think it's good to say the words. 
Not my will, as Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. That should be an understanding between yourself. This is what I'm praying about. This is what I'd love to see happen, Lord. But nevertheless, you know what's best. I'm going to leave it with you. And I always say this. I lived this in my own life. I was praying for a wife for a, a few years. About three years or so before, after I got saved, I was praying every day, every minute of the day, 24-7, 365. You know how you are. Lord, just bring the right person into my life. Bring the right person. And the phrase that I used to say keep, would keep me on course was God gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. That's God's will. That's what he wants in every area of your life and every area of my life. Put your choice out there. Put your desires before the Lord. He's not offended by that. Be real. Be transparent with God. He can handle it. When you're upset, when you think you might be overreaching and maybe you're being greedy in what you're asking for because when you start considering what you're asking for and what's going on with other people's lives and the hurt and the pain, you think, well, I probably, you know, hey, you know what? Just bring it, whatever it may be. And you always end it with, nevertheless, your will be done. Because, see, that's what happens in heaven. Everything that goes on in heaven is according to the will of God. There's nothing that takes place in heaven in the place where he's chosen to manifest his glory that is not his will. The angels don't rebel. They don't like, well, you know, Lord, I was thinking you might look at it this way. That doesn't happen. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. And it's done. Can you think of anything uh, that's more beautiful? than the will of God. There's no evil there. But in between heaven and this earth that we live is an unseen realm. We get little glimpses of it in the scripture. We're really, even in our sanctified imaginations, it's hard for us to grasp what it must be like. We get the feeling that it's a realm of darkness because the fallen angels are there, the hordes of demons are there, and they're in opposition to God. They can't go into heaven because they're, they're unholy. They've rebelled. They can't come into this domain because they have been restricted by the Holy Spirit. It's man's domain. It is not angelic for the angels, the fallen angels, to dwell here. It is not for the demonic spirits, the, off, the dis, departed spirits of the dead. That's what the demons are. It's not for them to dwell on this earth. So they're sort of stuck in this realm between heaven and earth. And that realm around the earth, the prince and power of the air, is the cosmic battleground. This is why, and I think this should give us a, a little maybe understanding of how important it is to pray. Now you think, where are you getting all this stuff from? I mean, really? Go to Daniel 10. You can pull it up back there. Daniel 10, for those who have a Bible. And just a couple of these verses give us a clue of something that's happening in that cosmic battleground region 
between heaven and earth. In chapter 10, we read Daniel's been fasting for about three weeks. He's got some surely strong burdens about the nation, and he's been reading in, in uh, Jeremiah's prophecies, chapter 23 in our Bible, that the 70 years was up. He's, and he's well into his 80s and 90s at this time because it's the 70-year mark of their exile. It's like, man, what's going on, Lord? How are, we gonna, how are we supposed to go back? You know, this is the kind of thing that's going through his spirit, through his heart. And so he, he begins to fast and pray. And suddenly, verse 10, a hand touched him, and it made him tremble on his knees in the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking, the this word to me, I was stood trembling, and he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, if you read through this, you realize he's not talking about the literal king of Persia. He's not talking about this prince of the kingdom of, the, of Persia at all. There's some fallen angel who has dominion over that. As you read through and grasp the paradigm that the prophets had, the paradigm that the apostle Paul had, this is what he's talking about in Ephesians 6. Rulers, principalities, of, uh, and rulers of the darkness. All of that. Spiritual wickedness in high places. He's talking about this unseen realm and they're seeking dominion and rule over the earth. Who do you think, why do you think throughout the history of man, all the governments that have ever listened have, done, have become what? They've become tyrannical. They brought their people into bondage, and that's the way all government rules, because you have these fallen angels, these entities influencing these earthly leaders and taking possession, uh, as it were, of the countries through them. And you go on down to verse 18, uh, he says, then again, one having a likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. So again, we see this angelic minister sent from the very throne of God Okay, Gabe, go down there and strength, help this guy out. He needs help. He needs understanding. Physically, he's old and he's weak and he's, he's struggling with some stuff, so help him. Okay, and then he gets hammered on the way through the, the morass of darkness between heaven and earth. So now do you see why it's important to pray and to persevere, which we're going to get into that in a couple weeks. So important to persevere. Because there's a war going on. Now, I don't know that I fully understand how all this works, but I get a picture of when I read these verses. And again, verse 19, he says, Oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And so when he had spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Do you know why I have come? 
And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Tremendous insight to what's going on of the angelic messengers and God's plan. The scripture of truth. Everything has been recorded. God's plan and purpose that was laid from the, before the foundation of the world will not be altered. We might be able to alter timing and seasons and times. Remember when the, the, he told the disciples about the end times and, and what was going to be coming down in Jerusalem. And he said, pray, pray that your flight not be in winter. So it's not that it's not going to happen, but there's something about our prayers that can alter timings and that kind of thing. So perseverance in prayer is quite important here. So much material. Oh, this, I read this scripture here, Malachi 1.11. If, if you have that, you can pull it, pull it up. Malachi 1.11. And this is kind of uh, sketchy, maybe, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to just read it to you and I'll expound a bit. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I mentioned that last week in thinking about and made mention that you and I are now the temple of the Lord. We're portable tabernacles, if it were, and throughout, we're scattered throughout the body of Christ, scattered throughout the whole world. We're offering up pray, prayers continually. So when we offer prayers, and it, it is heard in your ears and my ears, right? But it takes on, a, apparently, a spiritual form. What does it say? Every, in every place, incense shall be offered to my name. Is it true? Is it possible that as we begin to pray, our prayers take on the form of incense? That's what we see in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that the, the incense was always offered there, the prayers. We see it in Revelation, the, the incense is offered before, the prayers of the saints come up before the throne of God. Is it possible that this Incense burns through, as it were, the darkness. Is it possible that this incense is an allegoric of demons and fallen angels? That when we confess Christ and we name the name of Christ and we worship him and that incense is flowing from our spirits to the very throne of God, that the, the hordes of demons and fallen angels run from the name of Jesus? That allows... the Father in heaven to hear our prayers and for him to dispatch the angels to come in our behalf to minister to his grace and his mercy to us. I think it's quite possible that our prayers rise as a form of incense. How much incense do I have coming up to the Father? Oh, this should be an exhortation to pray like you've never prayed before. Let's get the incense burning. Let's chase the demons from hell and send them to the place where they ought to be. Oh, God, help us. God, help us to pray.
He's, when those prayers are heard by the Father, he immediately dispatches his angels to bring answers, to dispense life and blessing, healing. You know, as much as I'd like to keep going, sometimes it's better to leave a little bit left in the tank for you guys. Next week we're going to have the dedication and there'll be another message differently, different from this. I won't continue this. But that's the heavenly side of prayer. And I wanted to finish this, you know, but there's just too much. The next time we meet, we'll have the earthly side of prayer. Our needs, which involves provision and pardon, our forgiveness. We'll talk about that battle, how much we need the protection of God from what's going on, what's been described here this morning, the temptations that we face, how we need to be delivered from the fallen nature ourselves and from the enemy's attacks. And then to end with just all prayer should always bring us to that perspective of God. It's his kingdom. It's his authority. It's all for his glory. So important. This is what prayer does. It brings us into a, a right balance of who we are and who he is. Shall we pray? Father, we are grateful for this incredible gift that you've given to us that we can just, at any point in time, we choose, we can open our hearts Open our mouths and just begin to pray and talk to you. And there's this confidence that we have, this overflowing confidence, Lord, that you hear every word, every thought. Some prayers we don't even have to utter, Lord. You, you hear the meditation of our heart and you know it and you consider it. We just want to say thank you for this great gift and we're asking, Lord, that you would teach us individually, teach us how to pray. And as a church, Lord, we're willing to, for you to teach us how to pray. We want to enter into this cosmic warfare and be victorious and take the authority and the dominion you've given to us as your children, Lord. We don't want to lag behind. There's a world burning and dying, a death separated from you, Lord. We have... The gospel, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit to minister your grace to these people. We were once in that group and now we've been delivered and now we are your messengers to take this message to them or to provide hope and a grace that they might be freed as we've been freed. Lord, we pray for your power to come upon us. We pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit This would be a good time. We have a little bit short. Have some time here. And all these flowery words and encouraging words that you may have heard this morning mean nothing if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I believe God wants to baptize this congregation with his power. Some of you have you've re already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now what is this? 
Oh, well, it's the second work of grace. Well, yeah, it's probably the second, third, fourth, fifth, hundred works of grace. But essentially is when you are saved, your spirit is made alive. And your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But you realize that the, the disciples received the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. You understand that, right? They were in the upper room and Jesus came into the upper room, broke through uh, whatever it was, and he's just there. And then he, he said, peace be to you. And then he went, receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles received the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. You receive the Holy Spirit when you receive forgiveness of your sins. But there is a potential next experience that you can have where the Holy, you don't get all the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gets all of you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is essentially surrender. It is a complete surrender of your will Saying, okay, I'm willing to sell out and become all that you intend me to be. This scares me to death, Lord, but I can think of no better way to live my life. I want to live my life, and I want to serve you. That's what it's about. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the characteristic of that is power. You have power in your prayer life. You have power to say no to temptation. Your Christian living is taken to another level and you'll enter and engage in spiritual warfare with victory. If you're suffering defeat, you need power. If you're weak, you need power. And God knows that. God knows that we need his power. He's not reluctant to give his spirit in this way. As he said... What father, when he's asked for bread, does he give his child a stone? An egg, a scorpion? No. If you ask God for his spirit, he'll give it to you in great measure. And so, if you would like to receive the... And let's all stand. If you'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit... I don't care what words you want to use. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. You want the power of God working in and through your life because you want to surrender. Then I'm going to encourage you to you come down here. We're going to have a couple of the elders come forward right now. And they're going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. We're going to take these last closing moments and we're going to pray that God would fill whoever wants to be filled to the overflow. And I'm going to pray. And they're going to sing, and we're just going to wait on the Lord. And if he moves on your spirit to come, if you've backslid and want to come back, if you want to be saved, come forward. If you want to have an encounter and a real real deep abiding relationship with God, then I would say it'd be for you to come forward and to be prayed, prayed for because God is blessed by faith. It is an act of faith for you to, to get out of your seat, and to walk down here saying, Jesus, I want you more than I want anything else in my life. Father, I just ask that you would move upon your children. We are your children, Lord. We, you, we know that you have the words of eternal life. We have nothing to offer you in and of ourselves. We need your spirit, God. So please come 
and fill each one in this sanctuary, Lord. And those who come, Father, meet them in your own special, personal way. Touch your people now, I pray, in Jesus' name. So come, so come.